Welcome to the Adversity to Advantage podcast. This is the place to learn how to get through your worst rock bottom and start to embrace adversity. I'm your host, Petra Belzebor. I'm a therapist and a life coach, but my biggest learning is from my own rock bottom. My story includes being raised in a cult, dealing with depression, anxiety, suicidal thoughts, and alcoholism. But along the way, I've learned to turn my entire life around to one of success, joy, and fulfillment. So in this podcast, I'll be talking to people from all walks of life who've done the same. I'll be teasing out the skills and tools necessary, as well as using my own experience to teach you how to turn your adversity into your biggest advantage. All right, welcome everyone to the Adversity to Advantage podcast. I'm so excited today from across the pond to welcome Callan Diggs, who is a nomadic entrepreneur. He lives in a new city every few months. He authored the first book in the RTFL series, Reaching the Finish Line, a practical guide to discovering the champion in you. And that book became an international bestseller within months of its release. And Callan's new book, Reaching the Finish Line, How to Thrive in the Generation Y Era, will be released this fall or autumn for our London listeners. When he's not <laughs> writing his next book, Callan writes featured articles in many popular publications, including Fox News, Entrepreneur Magazine, and the Huffington Post. I mean, that's a mouthful right there. I'm so excited. Welcome, Callan, to the podcast. Petra, thank you for having me. Much appreciated. Thanks for coming. Um, I was just uh, remembering that first time that we met, and it was at a conference uh, sort of a couple months ago, and we only spoke really briefly uh, in, in the corridor, in the hallway, um, in between things, but I just really got a sense of your story and the amazing work that you're doing. Um, so, so give us, let's go right back to the beginning. And, and I know we're going to learn all about, you know, some of the stuff that you're doing now, which is so amazing. But I want to hear a little bit of your story. So, so give us a little bit of a sense of how you grew up. Did you have siblings? What was the context sure. of growing up? What were some of the rules that you had growing up? For sure. So um, I was born and raised in uh, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Uh, for for my, uh, my wonderful folks over across the pond, it's the fifth biggest city in the United States. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I, I've kind of, I was kind of, a, I guess they would call like an inner city kid. You know, I lived in a very bad neighborhood, uh, you know, raised them on those conditions. To kind of give an example of kind of how severe that was is, uh, you know, I live in a neighborhood and where, or they call it a ghetto here, and where um, when you call the cops, you know, you know, because you feel endangered or, you know, you're reporting a crime of some sort, you know, they said they will, they said they're coming, but they would never come. You know, because you know they were afraid. You know, it's just kind of awful. So yeah, yeah, I was I was raised in that. Um, that's that's you know, my, insane. Yeah, I was raised in that, and my uh, my mother, father, uh, you know, they weren't in my life. Uh, you know, not 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 initially in the beginning. Uh, you know, my grandfather was a very integral part, and I uh, raised me. I learned a lot from him. Um, and you know, fortunately, uh, he died of prostate cancer uh, when uh, I was 15 years old. Uh, and uh, at that time, I didn't really have anyone to go to. Uh, you know, I wasn't on really on good terms with any of my other family. Either they didn't care, or they just, uh, you know, I never knew who they were. 
And um, so at 15, you know, I was really just trying to traverse uh, my way to kind of make sense of what life was. Um, You know, as being a young person, I definitely didn't understand a lot of the concepts that my grandfather was trying to teach me. Uh, You know, he was trying to, he was, you know, teach me work ethic at such a young age. And at that age, I wanted to play, you know, there were things like Pokemon, Power Rangers, those type of things, you know, riding bicycles and playing video games. And, you know, I, I wanted to live life like a kid. But, you know, during that time, he was so busy you know, and, you know, teach me how to become a man, you know, and, you know, I felt, you know, as a young kid, I was, uh, you know, kind of early and, uh, you know, other neighbors thought I was, you know, too early as well. But, you know, I never knew uh, that illness that he had that he was dealing with until uh, a, a year prior to passing when he disclosed that information to me, unfortunately. And, so and would, uh, would you say you were, you were close to him? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, he, he was, definitely uh the most uh important figure in my life you know even even the fact that he's been dead 15 years now uh definitely still the most important figure in my life um you know a lot of my success i definitely uh attribute to him and um so you know when he died so you know um what were what, what were the tools that he was trying to set you up with yeah one of it was personal responsibility so there's a lot of people that live from a place of victimhood. You know, they always blame other people. They always say it's not fair. And at the end of the day, you know, there's always going to be adversity in everyone's life in different magnitudes. And I will never discount someone's adversity because I'm not living their life. And uh, so, 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 th- so it will always be that. But uh, I think the importance of him teaching me personal responsibility helped me to mitigate uh, the effect, the negative effects that adversity can have on a person's attitude, uh, on a person's psyche. So, uh, you know, that was, that was very instrumental, you know, personal responsibility, uh, an effect of my decisions that I were making. And ultimately it was those decisions that really uh, painted the kind of, kind of formed the path of my life. Amazing. And it sounds like adversity was present in your life from a very young age, but also some of the skills of how to deal with it. It surely was. Uh, At 15 years old, when he died, um, you know, my my grand, um, uh, you know, he he owed, owed, you know, a lot. He he wasn't current on a lot of his bills, um, to say the least. And uh, when he died, the, the government pretty much took everything. You know, so uh, there wasn't really nothing uh, left for me necessarily. Uh, perhaps until later on, when I learned uh, about certain things to other people that were connected with him. But initially, I didn't know all this. As soon as he died, and you know, I had nowhere to go. And I was 15 years old, and I said, "Man, what am I going to do?" You know, no, you know, no, really, no other family contact besides him. I did have a godfather, which I was very grateful for. We were never really close. You know, I guess I, I mean we talked, but we, were, we weren't tight. But he was the next closest thing I had to some family. Sure. And you know, you know, from time to time we would talk. You know, maybe like I don't know, like th- you know, 
five or six times a year. Maybe he would take me out for a burger and fries. And, you know, you know, again, I couldn't say we were very tight, but he was the closest thing after my grandfather. And at that point, you know, I was already working. I was working hard. I was I was bagging uh, groceries for tips. Um, you know, I had summer jobs, you know, you know, any opportunity that I got to work and I did. So I knew what work ethic was. And I thank my grandfather for that. And it sounds like you knew what survival was. For sure, for sure. And so when when he died, I was already working. I was already I already had money saved up. And my godfather was a landlord. So he was, you know, he had a few properties. He was renting out uh he was renting apartments out to uh, other people. And I said, you know, hey, you know, I don't expect you to do me any favors to give me a free place to live. Hey, I have money. I'll be happy to pay wherever you want. I just need a place to live because no one else is going to rent an apartment to a 15 year old. You know, <laughs> I, I don't have, I don't have any credit, you know, nothing sure. like that. You know, so, um, he was very reluctant, but you know, once he realized I really didn't have anywhere to go, I mean, you know, be- between those times, you know, I was, you know, staying in the basement at, uh, you know, so, some of my friends, are, um, you know, you know, their, their houses, you know, stay in the basement, you know, their parents would go to bed, they let me sing in the basement, you know, I, you know, I would sleep on a little futon or whatever. And so essentially then, homeless and just bouncing around getting help from people. Exactly. Exactly. And once he saw that, he was like, yeah, you know, he, he, he finally came to a realization that, okay, you know, you know, I, 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 I see how you're living. And then at that point, you know, the rest was history. You know, I was 15 years old. I was still going to high school full time. I was working full time and you know, I was paying rent, paying bills, you know? So essentially I was a man at 15 years old. So a man at 15, um, were there dark, what were the dark times like? Oh, I mean, there were times, Petra, where, you know, sometimes I wasn't able to stay at my friend's house and, you know, I end up sleeping in the park and there's nothing more frightening or humiliating to sleep. I mean, number one, being 15 years old, you know, you know, and, you know, exactly, you know, pitch black, you know, not pitch black, but, you know, lights very dim, not a whole lot of lighting, you know, kind of scared for my life because I'd never been in such an experience before. Yeah, it was, it was, uh, I feel I, my, my self-esteem was at an all-time low. I was terrified and, uh, yeah, it just, it just, it just wasn't comfortable, but still I was working and you know, I was, I, 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 I still had the, still had the spirit, the, the courage, you know, to continue working, working every day, provide for myself, going to school and, um, uh, thankfully, uh, my godfather uh, granted me the opportunity to rent an apartment from him, uh, and, uh, and yeah, he, he really helped me. Uh, he, he really was uh, kind of like a instrumental background figure in helping me to, and uh, so I became eighteen years old. Wow, just um, getting a sense of what that that early life was, and you know what your life is now, and kind of wondering what the bridges were to getting you from that point into the life that you have now, which seems so fulfilling. Yeah, it's, it's great. Uh, it, and you know, there's a lot more to that, you know, by the time I left, uh, by the time I went to college, uh, most of the friends that I, I grew up with, uh, they either got, they either got, uh, shot in gang related crimes or shot by the police. So it's like when I, when I, when I went to college, it's like, I, I really had you know, I had, I had, I had no 
friends to look back on and check on to see how they were because uh, unfortunately uh they you know they gone. all passed yeah yeah so a lot of grief and loss and just no for, kind of attachments or people that were there for you for sure and that really inspired me to you know you know try to do well so i went to college and i did very well in college and i graduated but then i realized hey you know what you know just working for the man is not something I necessarily want to do. Uh, you know, I, I did it initially, you know, throughout my whole life, you know, as, you know, you know, starting at the age of 12 years old. But, you know, as as going into my overall, my pr- primary career, I wanted to work for myself. Uh, so um, did, you, uh, did you always know that or was that process of going through college and all of that that made you? Yeah, I think I think it was that, Petra. I think it was going through that process kind of like going to my junior year and senior year and everybody talking about internships and you know what company you're going to work for and and then hearing from other people like th- their relatives and or just people I know about how people was getting laid off and people hated their job and and just kind of making those correlations and contrasting it I was like man this doesn't really feel secure this doesn't really feel yeah it, it doesn't really it, it really limits my control my creative freedom uh, so from there I just I decided at that point, I said, yeah, you know, this is not what I want to do. So I did a lot of, uh, you know, I started, I started kind of doing a lot of self exploration. Uh, you know, I started living in multiple, uh, uh, you know, cities, you know, I kind of started my nomadic path early, but you know, really, you know, I had a lot of money saved up, so I didn't really have the entrepreneurial, um, uh, engine behind me yet, you know? So, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I lived in places from, you know, California, New England, um, uh, New Jersey, uh, uh, Texas, uh, you know, most you know, multiple places uh, across the United States. Uh, and what do you think was driving you to do that? To to move around and go on this journey of self discovery? It was the freedom. That's what it was. Because it's like, you know, there's there's you know, of course, there's nothing wrong with everyone has their own thing and there's nothing wrong with working a job if a person has passion fulfillment they love it if that's what if that's what if that's what a person looks forward to every morning and you know it, it brings a smile to their face that's great but for some people that's not their thing you for, know for a lot and, of people and, it seems like yeah <laughs> <laughs> and, and I didn't want to go into that immediately, you know? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I just, I just really wanted the creative freedom and, um, and that's, and that's why I've lived in, uh, multiple places. And then once I had the entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial engine behind me, you know, kind of my, my own little, uh, self-employed, uh, business, uh, it's just, it just, uh, it, it just made sense. Everything started to click. Like, you know, the fact that, you know, with, you know, with, with the benefits of it, you can, you know, wake up anytime you want to, uh, you can basically, uh, decide how long you want to work. You, you decide what clients you want to take on. Uh, you can decide who you want to work with. I mean, it's, there's, I mean, now of course there is the contrast, as far as, you know, you know, when you're self-employed, you know, at the same time as, uh, you know, there will be, especially in the beginning, there will be points where, you know, it may take a while to really turn a profit, you know, and sometimes that frightens people, you know. Well, I was, so I was wondering if you're quite attracted to uncertainty because that's how your life has always been. So yeah, uncertainty it, it is, is a place that that's familiar in a way. For sure. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. 
I'm fine with it, you know, Petra. But what I'm saying is, I understand that everybody's not fine with it, sure. you know. And it's, uh, and you know, for some people, I understand they may have three, four kids, they may be married, they may have other responsibilities, and they have to do what's right for them, you know. Uh, but at the same time, if a person has, I feel a, 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 a person has a, a, a significant amount of courage, uh, a significant amount of relentlessness and persistence, and they're dedicated to the cause, then I absolutely believe that anybody can turn that tide. You know, but it starts within you. I think a lot of people look external, but the important is is looking internal. And once you look at, once you look internal, that's where it starts. That's where you start reaching your finish line. You know, you know that's 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 the whole core of everything I talk about. How people can reach the finish line and people are always looking externally what can people do for me the question people have to ask is what can you do for yourself you know because once you once you reform yourself internally then that's when your external world changes and i'm interested about the courage element because i do a lot of talks about courage as well and i'm curious about how people can develop courage even if they don't feel it right away yeah, so I I have uh, now for me, you know, a lot of my decisions are pretty kind of abrupt. I just do it, you know, you know. Uh, Before you overthink I mean, and get scared, yeah, of course. <laughs> now there, are, yeah, now that's not with everything. There are certain parts of my life where I do plan to a certain extent, but there's a lot that, you know, I do regarding my, my entrepreneurial pursuits and where I just, I just go with it. I just kind of throw things at the wall and see what sticks. Um, there's a, there's a, a kind of a, a metric that I form. I call it the three M metric and, uh, you know, courage, you know, it may not, immediately come to people but they could slowly build it and they could, like, like a muscle they could slowly strengthen it and what the 3M metric is is 3Ms minimum moderate and maximum so it's like goals like it's like you know personal development goals you will set for yourself and a person you know let's just use the whole idea of courage um, you know they may direct courage to a specific type of thing, but of course there are levels of courage and a person could break that down to those levels and see what is the most achievable for them. So the, so the, so the first M is minimum. It's, the minimum. it's your minimum goal, which you absolutely believe that you can achieve. So let's use weight loss, for example. So a person can say, you know, uh, you know what, I want to lose um, – 10 pounds in one month. Okay, that's their minimum goal. Okay, and do you have the moderate goal? And a moderate goal would be something that they realistically believe they can achieve. Okay, so a person may say, okay, I want to lose 20 pounds in one month. Okay, and then the maximum goal is if they achieve that goal, it will blow their mind away. They will be surprised, you know. They they couldn't even fathom it. And and that could be, I want to lose 30 pounds in one month. Now, with these goals, Petra, these are parallel goals. So typically, people set goals on a pass or fail model. It's like, you know, I'm going to, you know, know, um, January 1st, my New Year's resolution, you know, I'm going to have a BMI of who knows whatever, 50% better, you know, you know, I'm going to, you know, have a salary increase of 30% and that's going to be my goal. And basically the past five miles, either they get it or they don't get it. 
with parallel goals is you're setting three metrics and all you have to do is meet one metric to be successful. So if you, so if a person, if, if their goal was weight loss, if a person lost 10 pounds in that one month, they're successful. If they lost 20 pounds in that one month, they're successful. All they have to do is meet one metric. So basically setting parallel goals allows a person to set themselves up to win. And the same thing can be done with courage. You know, it's, it's finding what that, is finding, you know, exactly what, the what thing that is, person that you want to develop exactly, the courage in. Exactly. And, and breaking that down in levels and a person to build from there. And hopefully, um, and, and, you know, for me, it has, it has worked uh, and many people that I have helped. And uh, I think it's the better way, you know, the smarter way uh, to set goals rather than set themselves up. For well, failure. I mean, I'm liking the outcome because the, the mindset then is always of a winner. You're, you're always mm-hmm. winning. It boosts your confidence. Your courage uh, boosts further. And then you can set the next goal for yourself, which you, win, which you then win as well. I, I'm Ab- loving this. Yeah, absolutely. Always absolutely. Be, always be a winner. Um, yeah. so, so just back to the, the, this adversity topic, what would mm-hmm. you say, because we've, we've touched on some you know, pretty intense moments for you as a younger man, what would mm-hmm. you say was your rock bottom if you, if you would have to pick one? Well, uh, you know, I, I, I deal with uh, Hashimoto's thyroiditis, uh, which is uh, autoimmune disease. Uh, this year, I lost. This year, my my, my house got caught in a fire. Uh, you know, twenty seventeen. Uh, you know, despite it all, uh, has really yeah, it, it brought me down to a low to a certain to a certain point. You know, it wasn't comfortable. Uh, you know, you know, obviously, I wasn't happy about it. Uh, but at the same time, I understand something that's called the law of impermanence and you know there there is no period in your life that's going to be permanent like that you know you, you want you go in one chapter and into another chapter of your life and that's just how life unfolds and it's and it's getting to a state to be comfortable with that you know at first when i had you know diagnosed with Hashimoto's thyroiditis well, how old you were know, you when you were diagnosed or how long ago oh it's about 18 months ago so i was uh, still 29 or 28 rather and uh, you know, no, you know, no one wants to, you know, no one wants to have any sort of disease. You know, people want to be healthy, but you know, it, it, it scared me. You know, it scared me. I was worried, and it's just, it's just, I was overwhelmed with fear, and I was like, oh, I, I don't know how this happened. And 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 at a point, you know, I kind of, you know, I, you know, I was, I always to be in the high spirits, and at a point, I kind of dropped. You know, because I kind of thought that I was coming to an end because, you know, there's there's uh, well, there's <clears throat> according to traditional medicine here in the U.S., uh, even though I don't subscribe to that, uh, they would tell everybody with such a condition that there is no cure for it. And and if a person uh, if a person is a uh, believes in conventional medicine here, uh, it can really just take the life out of you. You know, so essentially, most people with these "quote unquote" incurable diseases, you know, doctors tell them, you know, a person walks out the hospital hopeless. They feel like there's no point in living anymore because you know they're going they're going to die pretty soon. And you know, you can only imagine, you know, what that does to a person overnight. You know, a person going from a thriving, a person going from a, you know, a passionate, fulfilled life to they know that who knows, doctor says, hey, you got about six years to, left to live. And and for me, uh, initially, that's how I felt. Um, but uh, I know that, 
you know, when there is a will, there is a way. And um, there's always what, what a doctor is simply giving you is an educated opinion. You know, there's nothing concrete. There's nothing set in stone. You know, science has proven placebos, miracles, things like that. And, you know, I, and, I, and I'm of the belief uh, that, you know, as placebos uh, have shown that many people have put uh, these types of diseases in remission, I believe that I can apply that as well with also some uh, holistic health modalities and just meditating more and just de-stressing overall. You so know, talk, uh, talk- Talk me through that process because you you obviously have some perspective now on on the illness and you know what your life is and maybe how you've had to make adjustments to your life. I don't know, but you, you're talking through that that moment where the doctor is telling you the most terrific news you've heard for yourself. You mm-hmm. you leave you completely dip and crash, and now you've gained this perspective. Talk me through the process of getting there. What was what was that like? Who did you call on? How did you move forward from just that really dark place to adding this perspective into your life? At that time, I was, you know, I was making friends as I was going from city to city. So, um, you know, I, you know, when I got diagnosed, I felt absolutely horrible. Uh, and when I try to talk to, when I try to talk to other people, obviously there was that language barrier. So there was always, you know, they understood, but they didn't quite understood because obviously the mannerisms, the words are different, and some like, you know, what you say in English translate different in Spanish. What you say English translate different in French. So there's always there's always those types of like they 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 understood the concept obviously, and of course they felt sorry, but how I was trying to really express myself to them, it wasn't quite connecting with them. You know, so I felt, I kind of felt alone. I, I felt like really, I, yeah, I couldn't connect with anybody. Um, you know, of course, um, uh, you know, I, 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 I tried uh, my best to take my mind off of it, you know, but uh, it's just, again, I wasn't used to that. I, I was going from, you know, you know, the, the book, the book being such a the book, the first book being such a success, you know, traveling around the world, uh, you know, you know, you know, the, the, the show getting syndicated, you know, all, all those things are great. And then that happened, you know, you know, but essentially what I started to do is come to a realization that, you know, these thoughts do not serve me. And the more I ponder on these thoughts, the more it's just going to make matters worse. It's going to put me in a worse mental state than I am currently. And I thought that, you know, hey, I'm the reach of the finish line guy. I can't be feeling like this. I'm supposed to be inspiring people. Exactly. So, um, you know, you know, I, I got back into my meditation ritual. Of course, I would have setbacks. Those thoughts would came back in, but it was just being dedicated, being persistent, and my and the rituals that I was already doing. You know, prior to this happening, and and of course, one thing I want to state, you know, to to everybody, Petra, is that you know there are going to be points like that. You know, I mean, you know, when I came, when I you know. When I got that diagnosis, um, it's just like everything just started to come. Because before diagnosis, I was fine being single. But it's like once I got the diagnosis, I felt I was going to die. I felt all oh, lonely, no companionship. It's like every possible worst thought, you know, when you're at your low, it's like, it's like a magnet. It attracts to you, you know. And, and it's so interesting to see your perception and your emotional state when, when you know, when, when you're just – when, when you're just at a place of peace, 
when you're at a place of synchronicity with other kind of positive types. It's just so interesting to see how a person's emotional state can change overnight once they are suggestible to a certain belief. And at that time, I believed that, you know, I was screwed. I was, it was, uh, you know, my condition was incurable. Uh, you know, my, my life was going to start to decline. But again, I, you know, I chose to believe that. You know, when, if a doctor gives you diagnosis, whether they're right or not, it's your choice whether you want to accept that or not. You can accept that belief or you cannot accept that belief. It's always a personal choice, you know, and, and it's the same thing. Whether you want to reach the finish line in your health, reach the finish line in your career, reach the finish line in relationships, there's always a conscious choice that you make each and every time. And when you make that choice, you can choose to accept that belief or reject that belief. But the more you accept that belief, the more you strengthen that belief like a muscle. And the, and obviously, uh, obviously, you know, one, you know, once that the more you practice those beliefs, those thoughts, the, the attitude of your model of the world, then unfortunately, uh, it becomes automatic. Your subconscious just has that on autopilot, you know. So it was kind of coming. It was kind again. It was kind of getting back into my routine of doing the things that I know that brought me peace, love, you know, meditating, being among nature, hiking, you know, just relaxing. You know, I'm an introvert, so I'm not really a party guy or anything like that. Uh, but it, but. It took a while. You know, I'm not going to say, oh, it just took, you know, it took 14 days and I was a brand new man again. <laughs> it wasn't like that at all. It was an exact science, right? <laughs> <laughs> and, see, and see, Petra, there's not because everybody's different. You know, for, for some person, you know, if their wife died or their husband or, or something like that, it could take them, who knows, 14 months to come out of that. And for another person, it could take six months to come out of that. You know, every, everybody's different and everybody has a default e- emotional set point, you know. And, uh, you know, over time, people can definitely people can definitely improve that uh, emotional set point, that default, you know, like people may say, oh, you know, Petra is typically a happy, you know, typically happy, easygoing type of girl, you know, and, 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 and if that's something that you already know within you, you know, that's kind of your default emotional set point. But then also people recognize that, oh, that guy, he's always grumpy. He's always angry. He's always, you know, pessimistic about everything, you know, so it's, it's, uh, it's, but, it's but so interesting. Sorry. It's just made me think how that can change over time because mm-hmm. now at the state that I am in my life, that's exactly what people would think of me generally yeah. upbeat, yeah. bring her around, you know, let's, uh, help cheer people up. She'll have something positive to say sort of thing. Um, flip it, you know, 10 years ago, depressed, um, alcoholic, absolutely the world was the worst place on earth victim mode you know and and slowly having to teach myself people don't maybe see the journey in between but that's just made me reflect on how different things can be within a decade um, of how people view you and how you see that choose to see the world that element of choice is so important absolutely and I always, you know, being that my whole theme is reaching the finish line, I always try, I always strive. I strive to be transparent, you know, you know, to my audience, to anyone who finds my website, because I don't want them to put me on a pedestal. I don't want them to see me that I'm perfect, that I'm flawless, that, you know, I'm some guru that, that, you know, like, I don't want to be that cult leader. I do not want that title. You know, I, I want people to understand that I have flaws just as much 
as they do, you know, and maybe I and, and you know, I may have more success than they have of achieving them, but I also want to see that the, I also want to convey to them that the fact that I'm human, and I think that's very important. And you know, I strive to uh, emit that authenticity, uh, you know, out to everybody. And you know, I've published articles uh, on my website about that uh, because, again, you know, the whole path of reaching the finish line is understanding that. There's always going to be that adversity, but as you know, as as, as your, your your you know your show eloquently is titled, adversity to advantage is knowing how to leverage that and using it to your advantage. Because ultimately, it's that wisdom you know from the adversity is what's going to help someone to reach that finish line. Absolutely, I'm so pleased uh, that that you said that because sometimes uh, stories you know are really about oh the adversity that happened a long time ago and then we want to put a nice bow and a happy ending on the story and say now everything's perfect um, that's kind of the media version for a lot of people and I'm really curious in asking people okay what are the challenges that you're facing now um, how do you manage them what are the, the tricks the rituals the things that just help you pick yourself up maybe quicker than you used to but not denying the fact that adversity is often for me it's a clue that change is afoot you know um <laughs> adversity is coming i'm like okay what do i have to learn in order to get to the next level and that's <laughs> kind of the exciting thing about your story is you're going adversity is here it's with us but how do you leverage it absolutely and and i realize now is despite the way despite the way adversity enters my life i could always make it a conscious decision to learn from it but not allow it to affect me in a negative manner and uh you know when i lost you know my house got caught in fire uh, again you know that was like That's you know I, I, at awful. that time <laughs> at that time uh what, what was that so i saw you i believe in um I believe in October. That's when I met you. Yeah. And then in January, I was about to go to Argentina. And then that's when I, that's when I learned that. Yep, uh, my neighbor, uh, you know, she, you know, she, you know, she, she, she's falling asleep. You know, no. you know, uh, yeah, um, um, cigarette or le- something. Uh, yeah, left the stove on, had a cigarette outside in the back. Two fires went at the same time, and um, so I live in so in Philadelphia. I have a house in where they're called row houses, where like they're actually connected, sure. so there's no there's no gaps between the other houses. You're screwed. <laughs> yeah, and that's why, and, and, and you know, and I was devastated, you know, because uh, uh, fortunately, you know, I don't have a whole lot of close ties there. You know, I I, I, I did have I did have one neighbor who said, hey, you know, <laughs> they have my number. Hey, I want to come back, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but so for you, know? you that that's your connection, right, <laughs> to home. Yeah, yeah, but but I had to come back because um, you know I, you know I couldn't have I, I had to. Go through all the situ- go through all the process as far as insurance and things of and that was matter. It, and, was it destroyed? And, and, was everything? No, it, 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 it no. The, the, the shell is still there, and there are still parts that that oh. are not um, you know totally uh, severely damaged. But uh, it, it just needed an overall rehaul because uh, it's, it, it wasn't it was no longer livable. You know, so uh, yeah, it was, and, and that that was another wrench in the gut and i was like oh this is i was like (laughs) and but at the same time again you know at first first week wasn't happy felt awful i said oh you know the fact of the matter is 
I probably live in that house probably about three weeks out the whole year because I'm always everywhere else. You know, you know, well, in November I was in England. You know, January I was in Pittsburgh. I'm in all these different cities, so I'm typically never there. So it was so, but at the end of the day, you know, it was something that was mine. It's still and, you your know, base, yeah. Exactly. I was connected to it. So uh, there was some sorrow and grief from that. But again, it always goes back to, you know, I could always make a conscious decision of how I can feel about this. You know, I can, you know, I can always, I can always control or improve the response of how I feel of the things that happened to me, you know. So um, it, it was that, it, it's kind of that mindset that really you know, it gets me over the hump and something that I encourage as far as helping people reach the finish line to get people over as well. It's just like just accepting the fact and the matter that adversity is going to come in your life from time to time. But it's just making a conscious decision of how you're going to react to it. And um, but if, if you, a person if you if you could change anything from from your history, uh, would you? Uh, that's a good question, uh, Petra. I, I probably wouldn't. You know, uh, of course. Now, you know, don't get me wrong. There is benef- there is benefits of you know being raised in a very supportive and nurturing family. Something that I, something that I didn't have. I will never know what that feels like. Conceptually, I do, but experientially, I have no idea. <clears throat> but um, I don't think I would change anything. Uh, I think uh, things kind of panned out the way it did, and um, I'm relatively happy with how things been. Uh, so yeah, I, I think, wonder if you'd be the the man that you are today had some of that stuff not happened. I don't think I would be. Uh, I think that I, I think uh, the experiences would would have been different. I don't think I would have been exposed to much adversity. I don't think I would have been as emotionally as strong as I am today. So yes, yeah, definitely. The, you know, a Callan coming from a very nurturing, supportive family to this Callan. Definitely, I think it would be two different personalities, and there would be two sets of fears that each person would have because their experiences would have been different. It would be a whole different life. It could be. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And so, if if your life itself was a book, what what would this chapter be called? Wow, that's a good question. Uh, uh, I don't. I mean, just going off the top of my mind. Off the top of your head. Going through hell. <laughs> <laughs> Say that again. You know, going through hell. Going through hell. Okay. Yeah. Full on. Because, yeah, because I, you know, um, uh, I haven't, you know, uh, I haven't recently checked the doc, went to the doctor to check my blood levels, but you know, I am not embracing that disease. I am not using that disease as a way to define myself. You know, uh, you know, I, I always focus my attention on feeling well and, um, you know, uh, you know, giving, you know, you know, being of service and, you know, being loving to other people, um, you know, Which is hard, not- what, like just to, you know, give you some, some credit there. That's really hard when society has a way of looking at illness in a certain way, you know, oh, poor you, or they're almost putting the victim thing on people who are ill. So you're almost counteracting how you feel as well as, you know, rippling that out to how other people must react. For sure. Because one thing to my advantage is I avoid talking about it with other people. The more you share with other people, the more it's going to perpetuate. The more it becomes a thing. 
Exactly. So if I don't, if so, if if I keep my mouth shut, <laughs> then and and then I can bury it myself and and not cast any attention on it, then it's like it's not even there. And that's the attention that I set. Again, you know, there are things I do. You know, I do. I, I have altered my diet. You know, but you know, I am meditating more. But my whole intention is to not identify myself with that. My my intention is to identify myself with perfect health. So it and, doesn't become uh, your story. No, nope, it does not. Be, I, I just share it with you because it's a part of the whole episode, and hopefully. Is. Yeah, hopefully, you know, it'll be some inspiration to people. But outside of this, it's not something that I typically share, like, t- to my neighbor down the street. You yeah, know, yeah. My, my neighbor at the time, because I'm, like, in a, in a new place every few months. Of course. But, um, but, uh, but, yeah. And I think that's what helps. And same thing, same thing with the house. You know, I don't, I don't share with everybody, oh, you know, oh, because because sharing the whole unfortunate accident – as you said before, people are going to say, oh, that's such a shame, you yeah, know, and then they, they prompt me to tell the whole story. Again, in order to kind of avoid that, to avoid to reliving those emotions, it's just better for me to bury it and then me not to personally acknowledge it. Because if it's out of my awareness, then I'm not thinking about it. But if I put it out in the awareness of other people and they're regurgitating it, then it goes, then it reminds me, then it puts it back in my awareness, which remi- which makes me relive those emotions. So it's it's kind of and it learning reinforces how, that story that exactly. oh poor you all that stuff you know what a shame exactly yeah it, you know you know adversity can be one of the best things that could happen to anybody you know um, you know you know all, all the success that I've had at the end of the day it's not like it just happens you know and it becomes perfect you know there's always even when you're, when you're not successful, when you are successful, there's always going to be adversity along the way. And just learning how to be comfortable with it. It's like being comfortable with being uncomfortable, you know? And for most people, they're not, they, some people don't like the way that sounds. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they don't like the way that sounds. But, you know, being comfortable with being uncomfortable is, is a key uh, principle that a person uh, needs to really strongly consider implementing in their life if they want to reach the finish line. So learn to be comfortable with being uncomfortable and develop, right. develop your courage muscle. Um, yeah. What would you want the next chapter of your book, of your, the, the book of your life to be called? Uh, well, really, Petra, at the end of the day, I just live in a moment and I go with the flow, you know, kind of go with the flow in a sense. And, um, I, I don't really, you know, I have, of course we all have goals and expectations and things like that, but you know, I, I have just learned to just be, you know, literally just be, you know, just be in the moment and just embrace the positive and learn from the negative. You know, and, and know what I said there. Embrace the positive and learn from the negative. You know, I'm not, not embrace the negative because, of course, that, that does not have my best interest. You know, but learn and from it, notice it. Exactly, exactly. So, yes, you know, every day it's a gift. And that's why they call the present. Um, so I just, uh, I just, you know, be grateful for every day uh, that I am, you know, that I get a chance to uh, be among this human experience, uh, to be among, uh, you know, the people that the people I, I like and you know care about. And 
I have a, tra- a trajectory, like kind of where I want to be, but I don't like to put a whole lot of details in it. You know, I just kind of, it's like, it's there and who knows. Yeah, it's there, but it helps to be flexible if it goes, if it, if it kind of alters a bit, you know, as long as it's still going in the right direction, that's what's most important to me. I love that learning to, to be, I think, um, some of us who come from that survival background, you know, I was uh, raised in a cult, ironically, um, and you learn to that whole fight or flight, you're constantly trying to survive. So learning to be and actually enjoy the people, the places, all the wonderful things that we have in our life can really be the biggest skill of all in managing adversity even, because you're like, if I can just get through this day, if I can enjoy and be grateful for the things that are in my life today, it's such a great tool and meditation really helps with that, I imagine. It does. It, you know, I, I definitely love it. Um, you know, for people who are not, uh, people who have done it before, it might help if they use binaural beats, that, that can help. You know, I, I still use it, even though I've been doing meditation for several years, I still use binaural beats because sometimes it makes it, makes it easier for you to go into that alpha or theta state. Uh, and really that's where you want to be, you know, cause our, typically our brains are always in beta every single day, you know, as far as, you know, being stimulated, whether it's watching TV, whether it's traffic, whatever it is, our brains are always in that beta state. And it's really trying to, you know, bring us down to that alpha and theta state that can really bring more peace in our lives. And that can really encourage us to really be more loving and compassionate to others. So what's your meditation routine like? Do you try and do it daily? Is, is there a particular program that you follow? Um, well, I used to do it like 4.30 in the morning. And then oh. I realized, man, maybe that's not <laughs> maybe ideal for sleep. me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I, you can do it anytime you want. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, you know, I, I I started doing it that early from a suggestion, but it's it's actually still a good practice just because typically at that time in most places in the world, um, you know, you absolutely have no noise. You know, you may hear some crickets or something like that, but uh, typically that's the most that's the best time to really meditate because you would be the you would be at the very least distracted. But no, I, you know, I you know here you know where I'm at now, uh, Aspen, uh, very, very. Um, I, I, that's, that's all I was going to say. So so, I try to strive to do it kind of not when I'm tired. So like kind of between like after I'm eating dinner so not just and before like, yeah, exactly. So like, so, so typically I try to leave, try to go to bed before I eat dinner and before I go to bed, that's about at least about six or seven hours apart. So I try to start for like that middle, like, like within that three and a half hour window to meditate. So that way the food doesn't make me fall asleep. And that way I'm not tired in general, you know, okay. so kind of find that sweet spot. And it's just, it's just doing that for about 20 minutes and and just and just clear my mind and just kind of getting into that zone and it's really hard to put it in words like like it, again the best way to describe it is, is that theta state it's because you're conscious but it's just like you're disconnected from your external reality you know but you, but, you, but you're so connected you're, you're you're connected to people may call it god people may say the universe the cosmos you're just so connected to something other than this world outside of yourself and, Exactly, exactly. And, and I strive to do that 20 minutes each day. And really, it has really uh, had an uh, influential effect on my personality. And, uh, you know, you know I, 
every day I strive to be better and better personally and professionally, but personally, most importantly. And uh, that's kind of our routine for the meditation. Love it. So, so tell people about the new book that's coming out, um, Reaching the Finish Line, that's coming out in the autumn. Um, I'd love yes. the listeners just to know a bit more about your, your concept, what you do, um, and where they can find you online. Yes. So the, the first book was really kind of United States-centric. Um, you know, it's basically kind of like a kind of uh, how to excel in your career, shift to entrepreneurship. Uh, this book is is more global. You know, there, there are still some kind of kind of American themes regarding statistics, but uh, I found that uh, places like the UK and Australia, there's still some similarities. I'm quite sure people can fill in the gaps. But the overall concept of the book is how to reach the finish line in the era of millennials. Uh, in the United States, uh, millennials is the biggest uh, workforce in the country. And that's, seem, and that's also uh, the same in many other westernized countries. And really, it's millennials that are really influencing the world, are really running the economy. And people who are baby boomers, people who are Gen Xers, or just millennials who are just really kind of out of touch with their own generation, it's a great book that really teaches personal development concepts as long with insightful entrepreneurial strategies that can help a person reach the finish line in their career you know now it that's, that's kind of twofold you know it, you kind of if a person kind of wants to stay where they are you know maybe maybe you know uh maybe find a career that's more fulfilling in the corporate world there's some stuff there but there's also several chapters that's geared towards entrepreneurship, but that also talks about the subtleties that a person or the, the, um, some, some advice that a person needs to make to shift, to be more relevant to millennials. The fact that your average customer is a millennial is worth paying attention to because if you have a business and you can't relate to a millennial, they're not going to support you. you know, like, for example, millennial nowadays, they like to buy from brands that are contributing to the kind of the social corporate social responsibility community. They like they like companies that are socially responsible. So, for example, um, uh, Patagonia is a very popular one. You know, uh, they they are an apparel brand, and they use a lot of their profits uh, to invest in a lot of environmental initiatives. You know, millennials like that. You know, it's, it's not so much about now someone just you know just buying. Uh, a soda or a beverage or or, or, or or nutrition bar. It's okay, they may have a good product, but what is this company doing for the betterment of the world? And millennials really care about that. And that's just one of the many things that I talk in, uh, in the book, Reaching the Finish Line, How to Thrive uh, in the Generation Y Era. And again, definitely, uh, you know, it, it does have some U.S. themes, but definitely, uh, relevant well, to anybody relatable just because the world of work is changing as well the amount of exactly. entrepreneurs the you know the amount of people that want more purpose and fulfillment in their careers is absolutely changing so it sounds uh, absolutely relatable all over the place I, 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 absolutely internationally relevant and uh again you know um in most in, in most countries Millennials are the nation's biggest workforce, you know. Uh, so uh, definitely, I uh, think it'd be very applicable. The website is uh, reachingthefinishline.com. Uh, they Great. can check more out there. Uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, perfect. 
Yeah, and uh, you know, I, ha- I have uh, I have show archives, which I'll be. Um, you know, of some episodes I did back in the day, which I'll be rebooting pretty soon. I just trying to, you know, it's just like for me, for me, um, uh, with this book, I'm, I'm trying something different because the first book was conventionally published and this book, I'm really doing like 80% of the work. Uh, so, uh, you know, it's, it's only about so much of me and I try to, you know, outsource some of that help as well. And kind of had a few problems with that, but, um, it is available for pre-order at reachingthefinishline.com forward slash forward slash new book and they get uh you know they get special discount uh you know so, exactly so that you know a, a lower price than the official price when it when it was released to the public exciting exciting it's so yeah. interesting the the parallel that your life is going on with so much success so many people being drawn to you and to your story and at, at the same time uh, so much adversity that's still kind of jumping up and needing you to adapt manage use every skill in the book in order to deal with it um so finally what advice would you give to, and you've touched on so many things, but what, what maybe three bits of advice would you give to somebody who might be facing their own rock bottom right now? Well, um, first of all, uh, be comfortable with being uncomfortable because if you can't be comfortable with that, then life is going to be extremely difficult and you know, that person's negative emotions, unfortunately, it's going to consume them. And that is going to be autopilot and that's going to be their everyday life. And unfortunately, they will never reach the finish line. Uh, the next step, I will say, is not to fear uncertainty. Uh, uncertainty is a world of the unknown. Uh, it could be good or it could be bad. A lot of people always think of if it's uncertain, they revert to fear, which they think something bad is going to happen yeah, to them. Same bad, but, yeah. Yeah, but uncertainty uh, is a a coin. You know, there's two sides of it. And and, and while there can be troubling times in in a world of uncertainty, there also could be very bright spots. So um, so embrace, you know, know, uh, don't fear uncertainty. And the last thing that uh, I will say is do not broadcast your trials and tribulations. Unless your you, unless your attention is to serve a purpose. Like here, I'm on your show. I'm being transparent. I'm telling you. You know, people on my website they go and they read. You know, you know what's happened to me. Like, but your show, you know, other shows website that's different. But I don't go out to everybody here and tell everybody, oh, this happened, this happened, this happened, this happened. My intention of doing it is to teach people what I've learned and to inspire people. Now, you know, a person doesn't, a person doesn't have to have their own website, but the whole point is, you know, do not do not talk about, you know, your trouble and adversity, especially if you're in a down state. You know, do not talk about it unless your attention is to use it to inspire other people. And, so that uh, sort of classic Friday night after work, everyone goes around the pub and talks about how shit certain things were in the week and whose boyfriend left who and who did what to whatever, you know, and, and get into a spiral of all of the shitty things that happen. You know, there's a bit of a habit, a bit of a culture. Yeah. Um, and almost to the point that with some people, those are the stories you're expecting to hear. Oh, how bad was it? How bad is this? So consciously making an effort to actually, I'm not going to talk about those things in this context. So real, there's practice ground every single day, that's what I'm hearing you say, to make choices to focus your attention on the good stuff that's going on or that you'd like to go on. 
And that's where it starts with making that conscious choice. And, and, and that choice will determine the path of whether you reach the finish line or not, you know, and, uh, I, I want, hopefully my intention is to help people make the right choice to help people make better choices. And, uh, that's where it starts. Love it. And on that note, we're going to finish. Callan, thank you so much for spending so much time with us and telling us so much of your story. We appreciate it so much. Hope to chat soon. Thanks, Petra. Take care. Thank you so much for listening. If something helped you today, please do share this episode with a friend and let them know that they are not alone. I know that for me, isolation kept me stuck much longer than I needed to be. So let's practice courage and talk to someone about what's going on as that's the first step to making life amazing. Check out my website, petravelsboer.com, for your free Kickstarter plan, which will teach you to turn your biggest weaknesses into your greatest strengths. Join the community of people who are changing the way they view life's challenges and living life to the full. Until next time, goodbye.